I'd like for you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament, chapter 15. One um, very early, very cool November Saturday morning, almost exactly 38 years ago, I found myself in a dumpster up to my waist in somebody else's garbage looking for two tickets to a Dallas Cowboys game. (laughs) The night before, Friday night, I had driven the lead sled. That's what my friends called my car. It was a 1974 white Monte Carlo with a burgundy Landau top, and it was about as big as this room. It weighed more than three tons, and it was a two-door, so you know how that goes. These doors are like, each one of them had their own zip code. These were massive doors and a massive car. So I drove the lead sled uh, to Mesquite Memorial Stadium. We were going to enjoy a high school football playoff game that night, and one of the friends I was meeting at the game, his dad had season tickets to the Dallas Cowboys game, and his family couldn't go to the Thanksgiving Day game for some reason, and by God's grace... They gave the tickets to me. And so we enjoyed the high school football game together, but the highlight of my night was receiving those two tickets to the Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving Day football game. I mean, when I was little, going to a Cowboys game was everything to me. And we didn't go that often, maybe once every couple of years at the most. And we had the lousy, like, $12 seats up in the nosebleeds of the end zones at Texas Stadium. I mean, these were the, the highest seats imaginable. It was, like, level with the hole in the roof. We were, like, watching the Cowboys from the space shuttle. I mean, it was, it was awful. But these seats that I got were on the 40-yard line, row K. And I mean, when my friend handed me those tickets Friday night, I put them in my pocket like a man who had realized and fulfilled all of his life's dreams. Thursday was going to be the greatest day of my life. And we enjoyed the football game together that night, and I drove the lead sled home, and I walked into the house, and I woke up my mom and dad, because that was kind of the rule with us. No matter what time you come in, you got to check in with the parents. And so I checked in with mom and dad, walked down the hall, past the bathroom, and into my bedroom. And I got ready for bed. I took out my keys, and I took out my change, and I took my watch off, and I took out my billfold, and I... There were no Cowboys tickets. I couldn't find the tickets, and I panicked. The tickets weren't anywhere, and I had to find these tickets. And so I ran back outside into the driveway, and I tore my car apart. I checked the ashtray. Back then, every car... Okay, had an ashtray. I checked the ashtray. I checked the console. I looked up on the dash. I'm in the glove box. I'm in the front seat. I'm in the back seat. I'm looking under all the seats. I'm looking under all the floor mats. I cannot find these tickets. And I go back into the house, and I'm retracing every single step from the bathroom to the bedroom. I'm turning on all the lights down the hallway, in the garage. I'm looking in the driveway. Somehow, I've lost these Dallas Cowboys tickets, and if I can't find these Cowboys tickets, I will not be able to live with myself. I will never be able to forgive myself if I have somehow lost these tickets to this Dallas Cowboys football game. And so I look everywhere. I'm scrambling madly. And then I woke up my dad again, 
And I told him, Dad, I've got to drive out to Mesquite Memorial Stadium. Somehow, I've lost these tickets. They've fallen out onto the ground or under the bleachers or something. I've got to go look for these tickets. My dad was not nearly as sympathetic to my plight as he should have been. He said I could not go to the stadium because it's 1 o'clock in the morning. But you can go after the sun comes up. Well, I was there when the sun came up. And I looked for two hours for those tickets. I looked in the parking lot. I turned over every clod of dirt and every blade of grass under those bleachers. I looked up against the fences. No matter what, I knew I was going to find those tickets. I would not rest. I would not stop until those Cowboys tickets were safe and secure in my hands where they belonged. And I looked everywhere. And I couldn't find them. And then I went to the dumpster. This huge, massive dumpster on the south end of the stadium, right between the end zone and the field house. And I looked in the dumpster, and then I got in the dumpster. I figure maybe, hopefully, is there a chance that the tickets got swept up or they got thrown away, somehow collected with all the trash from Friday night's football game, and they're somehow in one of these dozens of trash bags inside this dumpster? Maybe but I would not stop looking until I found those tickets. And so I started opening up those trash bags. And it was nasty. And not entirely dry. Big lumps of dried up nacho cheese. Sticky wads of candy and athletic tape. Half-eaten burgers and hot dogs. It was nasty. And I went through every single plastic trash bag. I had all of it spread out all over the ground around that dumpster. I turned over every Coke cup and soggy French fry at the bottom of that dumpster. And I could not find those Cowboys tickets. And I was sick. Sick to my gut. What am I going to do? So I got back in the lead sled and I'm driving home. What am I going to do? Where could these tickets be? Where else could they have fallen out? Did I put them somewhere else? Who can I call? I can't call my friend. Maybe I can call the cowboys? <laughs> Man, that sun is bright. And I reached up to pull down the visor, and both of those cowboys' tickets <laughs> fell right into my lap. And I nearly had a wreck trying to grab those tickets, you know. If cell phones had been invented, I would have called both my parents and every friend I had. Rejoice with me. I have found these Cowboys tickets. There was much gladness in my car. And I got home as fast as I could, and I screamed into the driveway and slammed it into park, and I ran into the house on that Saturday morning. I have found my Cowboys tickets. Rejoice with me. And my parents looked at me and said, okay, that's good. And I ran back out into the garage, and I duct taped them both to my chest right here. I was not going to stop until I found those tickets. Now, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is eating with and he's welcoming the lost. Now, this is not out of the ordinary for Jesus, right? We know this. This is what Jesus was always up to. This is what Jesus does all the time. In fact, if you'll go back to Luke 5, we see Jesus at this big party at Matthew's house. And there's a large crowd of tax collectors and sinners, Luke says, so this is a sinner's convention, man, and Jesus is right there in the middle of it, and the religious leaders call him on it. They say, what are you doing? 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 7, the prostitute at Simon's house. And Jesus scandalizes the entire religious community when he welcomes and embraces this woman. Do you see this woman? That's what he says to Simon. Do you see this woman? And then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus pulls Zacchaeus down out of the tree. Come down immediately, he says. I must stay at your house today. I have to. You can, you can hear the urgency in Jesus' words, and the religious people are muttering, because that's what religious people do. They mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Ugh. But Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Today this man is rescued. Today this man is saved. Today this man is found because I came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I'm telling you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen.
You know, it's absolutely great to think about and talk about going after the one that is lost. And we always see ourselves in that story as maybe one of the 99, or maybe one who is seeking the lost. But I want you to think for a second that maybe this morning, you're the one. So just pretend for a second you didn't wake up this morning in your nice house in Midland America, but you woke up in a shack in 2007 in Kenya. And imagine that you're not you, but you're 12 years old, a girl, an only child. And your only support in life is your mother, who has no education and whose husband died before you were born. All you've known is a life of trouble. All you've known is moving from hunger to hunger. A few months of school and then no more money for school fees. Living on the handouts of others. And then imagine one morning you wake up and your mom has left you. She's just gone. How do you feel? Lost. You are the one. You are the lost. You never wanted to be in that position. It was not ever your fault, but there you are. You're the one. What is going to happen to this girl? Well, as it turns out, there was a church not far from where she lived, a church that was planted through the World Bible School ministry by this church. And they heard about her plight, and they called to her, and they invited her to come and be part of the first class of Capsabet Orphanage. Her name is Millicent. Millicent had a big brain and was really good in school. All she needed was a chance. All she needed was someone to believe in her and someone to go looking for her in her darkest hour. And that church was there for her because of what God had set up through the work of some World Bible School teachers in a church 8,000 miles away. Millicent had a chance to go to school and finish her secondary education. She did very well. She ran into a little trouble in her last year and came up pregnant. But that church did not turn their backs on her. And they helped her raise that child so that she could go to the vocational training center that is part of Quo Ministries so she could learn a skill so she could break that cycle of poverty in her family. And she did. And Millicent came and she took the cosmetology course. She cuts hair and she's really good at it. And she excelled and she graduated and she got her certificate from the Kenyan government. Millicent went home back to her home area, found a nice young man and got married. She had two more kids, but there was something calling on her life. You see, she remembered a time when she was the one. 
when she was the lost. And she knew she had to give back to God in the same way that he had taken care of her. So she worked extra hard and took a second level course, got another certificate in hairdressing. Think of it as the barber class. And she did that not to earn more money and not to get more clients or run a shop, but she did it so that she could come back and teach at the vocational training center to be a witness and a light for those girls who had been just like her. In fact, that picture you see right now is exactly what she's doing. She's whispering the truth of Jesus into the ear of that young girl who was just like her a few years before. You know, when we think of leaving the 99 to go for the one, that sounds like bad math, right? 99, one, still have the 99, putting the 99 at risk, doesn't sound great. But let me tell you what, church, God uses a different kind of math. Because one times God equals infinity. And that's God's plan. He knows the redeemed will be grateful. He knows the redeemed will really know what they've been saved from and that they will do everything in their power to spread that message and to go and seek others who are lost. And that's what Millicent did. And that's what Quo does. Quo was birthed out of a ministry here called World Bible School whose only goal was to seek the lost in the dark forgotten corners of the world and some teachers here, John DeFore, who leaded and organized them. They were very successful in their work, and that resulted in church after church after church being planted in Kenya. He supported them, he gave them what they needed, and those churches turned into places of refuge for orphans. And as they called out for help, this church and God's people in this area were ready to stand with them to help them be the, those who look for the lost. And today, Quo Ministries is the result. This year, we opened our 16th children, children's home that provides full care to orphans in Kenya at a place called Maso. It was done with a partnership of the Gateway Church of Christ in Riadoso. We have some Gateway people here today. Y'all can wave to us. Thank you. Yeah. Over 2,750 kids, orphans, and widows receive care from Quo because of your generosity and the generosity of others in places like Gateway and all across the country. Each one of them was once the one, and all of them will be times God in order to be a big impact on the future of Kenya and on the world. Thank you. Seeking and saving the lost is our top priority here at GCR Church because our Lord Jesus' top priority is seeking and saving the lost, searching and hunting and finding and looking. And these parables in Luke 15, I think, really do paint the picture of this, 
this diligence and this effort and this single-minded fidelity to this one purpose, you know. As Tim's talking about, forget the money in the jar on the counter. As long as there is one single solitary coin hiding in the dark of a corner of a dusty house, we're going to look until that coin is found. Forget the 99 sheep and the safety and the security of the flock. As long as there is one single solitary sheep wandering out there alone in the wilderness, we will not stop looking until that sheep is found. Every single coin, every single sheep, every single person. Nothing is insignificant. Everybody matters. You know, after 32 years of marriage, uh, I have figured out Carrie Ann and our checkbook. I didn't always get it. I get it now. Uh, I remember the very first time ever I walked into the living room after being at work all day, and there is my lovely wife sitting in the middle of the floor in the living room, and she is surrounded by receipts and checkbook ledgers and file folders, and there's calculators and adding machines, and she is in obvious distress. And my first thought was, oh, no, we're being audited. My second thought, which was a worse thought, was, oh, no, she's discovered my addiction to Whataburger taquitos, and this is an intervention happening here. The truth was, Carrie Ann was balancing the checkbook like she did every week, and she had lost somehow 21 cents. And she was looking for that 21 cents. And I'm looking at Carrie Ann, and she's in so much distress, and she's so concerned, and she's surrounded by all this mess. And I'm like, look, here's a quarter, babe. What's going on, you know? Here's a dollar. What are you doing? It's not about what's in your pocket. It's about those two lost dimes and that lost penny, and I will not stop until I find it. And that is just like our God were y'all listening when Will and Callie read Ezekiel 34? Thank y'all so much for reading that the way you did. God says, I myself. You caught that, right? This is me, God says. I myself will not stop looking and finding and seeking and saving and helping and healing the lost. Going out, God says, and bringing them in. And that's what Jesus is saying. As long as there is one lost coin, one lost sheep, one lost person, I will not stop. That's the mission. That, that's the whole point. And when we join our God in his mission, when we focus our attitudes and our energy and our resources on what God is doing in Kenya and all over Midland, over every square inch of this city, the lost are found. Needs are met. Injuries are healed. The hungry are fed. The poor are protected. And the weak are given strength. And light shines into darkness. And life springs up from death. And people, God's people, the people God created, the people God loves, the people Jesus died for, people are found and they're saved. Going back to Luke 15, it is very interesting to me that Jesus is being forced to defend his mission. He's eating with and he's welcoming the unclean and the lost and he's being forced by the religious people to defend what he's doing. They don't like it. They don't think it's right. And the religious people mutter. Mutter. 
They mutter and they grumble and they complain and they gripe under their breath. You know why? Because religious people would never say the kind of stuff they're saying out loud. These are the people we're welcoming now? These are the people we're supposed to eat with now? Those people won't give. Those people don't even speak English. Their kids are too rowdy. They're going to mess things up. He just got out of prison. She has HIV. He cusses. She smokes. We've got to protect our kids. We need to be really careful here. Maybe those people should go to another church. Listen to me, church. And you know this. Listen to me. These are the very people Jesus came to this earth to find. Amen? I wanted to make sure y'all were still with me. Amen? Listen to me. We don't ever, ever dare to look down on, to ridicule, to make fun of, to neglect, or to ignore any person ever created by God in the image of God and loved by Jesus Christ. Amen? That, you're supposed to say it again. Amen? Amen? See, when you hear something that you know is truth, when you hear something you know is right, you say, Amen. Amen. That's right. Just like our Lord Jesus, we're looking for people. There's an attitude that Jesus is confronting here. There's an inward-focused mindset that Jesus is challenging. And when he says what he says, he's making it personal. He wants you to hear this. Suppose one of you, he says, suppose one of you had a sheep. What do you do? Suppose one of you had a coin. What do you do? Suppose one of you had a son. What do you do? Suppose one of you lost your Cowboys tickets. What are you going to do? See how Jesus makes it personal. Suppose one of you lost your child. Suppose one of you were surrounded by the lost in Midland, Texas, where God placed you to live. We look and we search. We seek and we save. And in Kenya, we're looking. Praise God. In Cambodia and Brazil, we're looking. In Honduras. And we're looking for the lost in Midland. Right here where God put us. We're climbing every hill. We're, we're overturning every rock. We're going into the cloudy days and the darkest nights to welcome the outcast. To bring in the marginalized, to help the helpless, to defend the defenseless, to protect the oppressed, church to seek and to save the lost. Suppose one of you, well, suppose one of you were lost, like Millicent. Well, guess what? You were. You were lost. I was lost. Brothers and sisters, we were all lost. Lost to ourselves, lost to our sin, lost to all of the dark forces of this present evil age. We were lost. And then, praise God, you were found. I was found. Brothers and sisters, we have been found by the love and the grace of our God through Jesus Christ. And so now, guess what we do? We look. We join our God and we seek and we save, and we search, and we hunt, and we find. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Stand with me, church. I'm going to read to us from Colossians chapter 1, and then we're going to sing. Thanks be to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of light of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Church, let's commit from this day forward to seeking and saving the lost. Let's resolve to starting right now to looking, to open our eyes and look for the lost. Let's make that our personal priority. And let's make that the priority of this church. Amen.